We continue this year in Navi, story of Cheskiyahu HaMelech, whom we stated, according to the Torah, was one of the greatest kings that ever lived. Cheskiyahu HaMelech was so great that in his time he spread the study of Torah to everyone. It was compulsory for every man, woman, and child to be a bookie, to have a clear knowledge by heart of the entire Shas, of all the Gemaras, <coughs> all the parts of the Torah. And we also had the story of Sancherev, the king of Ashur, who after he had driven out the ten tribes of Israel, then came to attack Cheskiah Melech. The miracle that transpired that evening, the night before his attack, when all his officers and soldiers were wiped out by a plague, when Hashem sent down the angel of death to destroy them. Now we come to the story that occurred suddenly, when Cheski HaMelech became very ill, and he seemed to be mortally ill. The reason for this illness, we do not find stated in the Navi, but the Gemara tells us a story behind it. This was the time when the prophet, the Navi at that time was Yeshayahu, Shayah Navi, who was the greatest Tzaddik, greatest Navi in his time. Cheski HaMelech was the king at that time, and there was a question of these two getting together. It was a mitzvah for the king and the Navi to meet. However, each one maintained, not because of gaiva, not because of conceit, but because he recognized the cover due to his own office, his own official status, and Yeshaya Navi felt that the, because he was a holy person in Navi, it was not fit that he go to the king, who was a layman in comparison, to visit him. It should be the king's duty to visit the Navi since he was a person associated with Hashem. The king, in turn, Cheskiah Melech, felt that since the Melech, the king, is higher than the Kohen Godel, by law, and a Kohen Godel is higher than a Navi, a prophet, and surely a king is higher than a prophet, so that the covered of a king should be a greater measure than the covered of a Navi, and therefore he would be degrading the covered of the king by going to visit the Navi, so he waited for the Navi to come to him. Thereby, there was a stalemate. The Gemara says, who knows better how to make a compromise, peace, between these two great luminaries? Who can do better than Hashem himself? So Hashem sent a serious illness to Cheskiah Melech. He became very sick, and naturally, this time, Yeshua the prophet was forced to fulfill the mitzvah of Bikacholim, to go to visit Cheskiah Melech. This was the story directly <coughs> responsible for this visit. However, we come now to what took place at this visit and the reason, the real reason for this illness. You know, he came to the king's bedside. He was greeted warmly, and then he became cold. The prophet said to the king, Yishayelavi said to Cheskiah Melech, I have news for you, and my statement is a very brief one. You are going to die, and you're not going to live. These two items. You're going to die means you're going to die now, in this world. You're not going to live in Olam Haba. You will not even get Canadian. It's double death. Because was shocked, because even though he was modest, he still knew how important he was, what a great tzaddik he was. He knew that studying Torah is the greatest mitzvah possible. 
spreading the knowledge of Torah compounds that mitzvah infinitely. He had spread Torah to every single Jew among Israel. And the Torah is called a tree of life. So if anything, what he should have got more than anyone else was life. Here he's told die and no life in the future either. So he asked Yishayanavi, what's the reason for this severe prediction, severe prophecy? Reply was because you committed the worst crime possible. You broke the first law in the Torah. This is a frightening statement because we regret to say a lot of people here are included in this. First law in the Torah is to get married and have children. Because you have not fulfilled that first mitzvah, therefore you have this double penalty. Why this double penalty? And before I go into depth to explain this, there is a debate, which speaks about a person who does not get married, who does not have children, what sin is he committing? The Gemara decides there, there are two sins committed. One is murder, spilling blood, because if a person does not have children, it's the same as though he wiped out, he killed life. If he abstains from bringing life into this world, it is as though he destroyed that life which could have lived here. So not having children is the same as committing murder. Secondly, he is also diminishing kaviyachol. We can use that statement. He's diminishing, he's lessening the image of Hashem in this world. Because, as the Torah says, every person is the image of Hashem, which means every person has the neshama, the soul, which is part of Hashem. If he doesn't have any children, that means that he is causing a lessening the presence of Hashem in this world. Now, therefore, the prophet said to Cheskia Melech, since you have no children, due to the fact you're not married, therefore you have committed murder. And that is why you must die for it. Secondly, you have diminished, you have deprived the spirit of Hashem from existing, from spreading in this world. Therefore, your part of the spirit of Hashem, your soul, shall have no life in the afterworld in Ganeden. This is the reason for the severe penalty. Now, this was frightening. So Chaskia Malach said to Shayanavi, it is true. As you say, I, am, I admit that I am guilty of what I am accused of committing. However, I have a very valid reason. Because I too am a prophet to a degree. I could foresee the future, and I could see very clearly that if I got married, and I had children, then I would bring into this world sons who would be so evil and so wicked that they would disgrace the name of Hashem, they would bring no cover to no honor to Hashem, they would commit sins and cause others to commit sins. So certainly, the world itself is much better off without them, and it is much better for the cover, the honor of the spirit of Hashem that they do not exist. This is my reason, and I am sure that I am justified in not getting married. To this Shayanavi replied, you have no business to go into the secrets of Hashem, the heavenly secrets. It is not your affair of what the future holds. You are a Jew and you are bound by the laws of the Torah. 
Every single Jew must obey every mitzvah in the Torah regardless. Now you are told you're commanded as a Jew to have children no matter what the future holds. It is your duty to fulfill that command. The question, of course, is what about his claim? It is true that he has this command, but shouldn't this command be overlooked by the fact that it would be doing a good deed there are certain times when it's better that a person break a law in order to accomplish. If a person is very ill, in order to save a life, you may break the Shabbos. Other cases, too, you're allowed to break the law to accomplish something. This case, though, that is a positive act, a positive law, to have children. In this case, what the prophet meant was that even if you saw something in the future, you could not see far enough. For example... What could happen later on is that your two sons, who are very evil, could eventually have children that might turn out to be very great tzaddikim. You might have a son who is as evil as Terach, an idol worshiper. He, in turn, could have a son like Abraham Avinu. So, even if the immediate future shows evil children, but the more remote future could make up for the shortcomings of these children. In any event, you've got to fulfill the mitzvah that you commanded to. To this, Chaskiah Melech replied, in that case, then, you are right. Good. I realize my error. I want to atone for it. But I also hope that perhaps I can overcome this sad prediction of the future. Let's try to figure out a means of solving this problem. How? Give me your daughter as a wife. Let me marry your daughter. And perhaps the zechus, the merits, the holiness of your daughter, the daughter of Yeshayah Anavi, plus my zechus, my merits together combined, perhaps we could then produce children who are better than the prophecy showed. Now, of course, the question is, how is it possible that the prophecy should be nullified, no matter what happened? He did see this was going to happen in the future, regardless of whom he married. And the answer is, again that this would help at least, the zechus would help, if not for the children, at least he would be assured that the children's children would be good. <clears throat> and in fact, it turned out that way. It came forth, Yeshua Tzadik. Secondly, more important still, that though he saw the evil of his children, he could foresee what Rishon they would be, there was still a chance that he saw only up to a certain point. He could not see what happened later on, the high degree of tshuva, repentance that his son did. So this was his request to Yeshayah Navi to give him his daughter for a wife. This request was refused by the Navi. Not that he didn't want to have him as a son-in-law, of course. It was a big honor to have Cheskiah as a son-in-law, but because he said it's too late. It's already too late. You have, your doom has been sealed. The decree has been issued against you. There is exardin in heaven. You must die. It's too late to make up for it. At this point, Cheskiah Melech said to Navi, if you're finished, then I want you to leave. Get out. Get out because I reject you as a prophet. Since you speak 
diametrically opposite the words of my forefather, David HaMelech, who wrote Tehillim and who wrote that no time ever should a person give up hope. Even if the sword is pressing down on the person's throat, where death seems imminent, he should lose no degree of hope at all. He should strengthen himself in tefillah and prayer to Hashem with a strong faith that Hashem can save a person at the very last moment. And therefore, he said, if you tell me that it's too late and your prophecy is worthless, out and let me handle this myself. The prophet walked out, and until he got to the outside, something took place in that room where Cheskia Melch was alone. Pasuk in the says that Cheskia Melch turned his face to the wall. He turned to the wall, he was lying in bed, and there he offered a very short tefillah to Hashem. Now he turned to the wall, the Gemara says simply means which wall? The wall of his heart. In other words, he davened, he prayed from the very depth of his heart. He poured out words from the depth of his heart. This is the Gemara's interpretation. Zayda Kodesh goes into it much deeper. Zayda Kodesh reveals something that is unknown to those who are well-versed in Gemara. Because Zayda Kodesh says, how come that here it says that Cheskyot turned his face to the wall, and then he spoke to Hashem? How come that we do not find this word, this term used elsewhere. By Meshul Rabbeinu it says, by Yispalel El Hashem. By Meshul Rabbeinu, time of need, time of emergency, Davant Hashem poured out his heart in prayer. Other great so they can just Davant Hashem. Why here do we find the term, he turned his face to the wall first, and then he Davant Hashem. Israeli Kodesh answers, because if a person wants to have his tefillah, accepted, really accepted, and he first must remove any obstacle in the way of having his tefillah accepted l'ratzon, willingly by Hashem. The obstacle naturally is a sin for which he is praying, he's davening, which he's trying to rectify. So he must first remove that sin, he must do tshuva, that's why we say tshuva or tefillah, First comes tshuva, get that sin or these sins out of the way, but then you can have your tefillah proceed directly to heaven, to Hashem. And that's why it says he turned his face to the wall. Kir is the wall. Kir, as Zayda Kodesh says, stands for the Shekhinah. Shekhinah, the spirit of Hashem, is the makar, the origin for the souls of females, of women. Souls of women come from the Shekhinah, which is the feminine, the nukva, the cave of the feminine. Shekhinah, of course, is in a feminine form, nukva. Since this is the origin of makar, the shedish, for the feminine of women, which means for a man's zivug, the zivugim come from the Shekhinah, and it was this where he had committed his wrong. So he turned to the Shekhinah to correct his wrong, his deficiency, by displaying his will, his desire to get married, which means correcting his wrong. 
and the Shekhinah Rekir would then be appeased. The Chidozal explains how is the Kir associated with the Shekhinah. Because we know the Shekhinah is represented by the name Rachel, Rachel Mavaka Albaneha. The last letters are, the first letters are Marav. Marav is the west, that's the west wall of the base of Mikdosh, where the Shekhinah always rests. Rachel stands for the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah cries over the children of Israel who went into Goas. So Rachel stands for the Shekhinah, and the name for the Shekhinah is Aleph Dalad, the Shem Adna. Rachel Adna, with the Aesis, is Begimatria, exactly Kir. Therefore, Cheskyot turned to the Shekhinah, Gematria of Kir, and thereby showed that he wants to make this unity, the Zivik, this match, between a Tzadik and between the Shekhinah, between himself and between his, his Nasib, his Basherta, his Zivik, thereby merit. We can understand then, because a person makes this Yichud, bringing about a Yichud above in heaven too, between the Hashem and the Shekhinah, this is why a tzaddik deserves the shy Eilamais. Anchil Oyhavai Yesh, Hashem says, I give those Oyhavai, show their Ahava to me, to the Shekhinah, bringing this Yichud about, I give them Yesh, which is Vigmatria Kir. This Yesh is a reward for the Tikkun, perfecting this Kir, the Shekhinah, which was crying until now over the fact that it had been neglected. This was the reason for his turning to the Kir, to the Shekhinah. And when he turned, the Torah says that he delivered a very short tefillah, very short, brief prayer. What was his prayer? He said, Hashem, help me. Why? Because I've been very good. Therefore, help me. Because I tell you, Be'enecho Asisi, I have performed that which is very good in your eyes, that which you desire, which you, Hashem, desire. The Gemara says there were two things he referred to. First thing was, he said, other kings, I am a king too, and I have the privileges of other kings. What do other kings do? They get up late in the morning. They are royalty. They can sleep late. And how late do they sleep? Until 9 a.m. The unsightly hour, the unheard of hour of 9 a.m. in the morning. Peasants, ordinary people get up earlier than that. These members of royalty sleep to the very late hour of 9 a.m. Well, I never sleep that late. Though I am a king, I always daven vosikin. Vosikin means I daven in the morning, I reach Shmon Esrei, I finish the Kriya Shema, I start the Shmon Esrei at exactly the second, the moment of sunrise. This is davening Vasikin, and this, the Gemara says, is the act, the tefillah of a pure tzaddik. This is what Eskia Melach prided himself with, and said to Hashem, for this mitzvah alone, I deserve to be given long life rather than death. Now this, of course, is a message to every Jew. It is not that difficult to daven vasikin. I note that everybody is here today. Nobody got sick. Those who daven with us this morning, we daven vasikin this morning. No one is the worse off for it. And certainly our neshamas are far better off by having daven vasikin this morning. Or every morning that we can accomplish this, 
Those who want a Dabam Musik in tomorrow Mitzvah, the time is 7.03. Reach Shmonesri at 7.03, you'll be fulfilling that Mitzvah. It is not difficult. Summertime, when it gets to about 3.30, a little bit harder. But meanwhile, the Mitzvah of Davening Vosikin can be accomplished by every single person, even the laziest of people, because who gets up later than that? We can't imagine recurring to a Jew who must go to shul and daven, and then he must eat breakfast. That's compulsory too. You have to wash for breakfast, pas shachris, and then go to work. So certainly is simple enough. It is a mitzvah that is this important where Cheskiah Melach spoke with pride about it and said this is worth life. What kind of life was he asking for? To rescind a decree mentioned by Shia Navi, which means to save his life here and to regain his Ganadin, Olam Haba, for this mitzvah of Vasikin. What is so important about Vasikin too, the Benadol says that Vasikin means that the exact stroke of sunrise to be Semech Geulo Letfila. Baruch Atah Hashem Go'al Yisrael Geulo. The next word is Hashem Svosai Tiftach Tfila. Hashem Svosai Tiftach is Rishtevis Eishas, the wife. The wife meaning the Nukvor, the Shekhinah, to be Geel, Geel means to redeem, to take the Shekhinah out of Golas. You put both together, you are Geel Letfila. You take the Shekhinah out of Golas, if they are both together at this time, the time of sunrise, when the sun rises, the sun, the Shemesh is, the Edampin, stands at Hashem, bringing the Shekhinah close to Hashem through the Goa Yisrael. Goa Yisrael, of course, stands for the Yisrael Tzaddik. The Tzaddik redeems the Shekhinah and makes this Yichud, brings them together. This is the mitzvah of Smichas Gula Latvila with Hosikin. Again, each person should strive very much, at least to understand, to recognize, to believe in the importance of Osikin, to do his best to fulfill this all-important mitzvah. This was the first statement by Cheskyahu HaMelech. Second statement he said was, I did what was good in your eyes. What is good in the eyes of Hashem? Get this point very clearly. Good in the eyes of Hashem means it's something that Hashem himself, Kaviachal, states is that which Hashem wants. Now this leaves no doubt that if a person does this, he is fulfilling the want, the desire of Hashem. This is incontrovertible. There's no debating this point at all. Exactly what did he mean by this? He said that there is a book, a sefer, written by one of the wisest persons that ever lived. A book that deals with medicine, a book that deals with the cure for every illness, not written by an ordinary doctor, written by the wisest of all men, by Shlomo HaMalach himself, King Solomon, who was wise in all wisdoms, and who had authored this book, where he revealed the cure for every type of malady an actual remedy for all diseases and all sicknesses. Now, this book was very precious. It was better than the best going to the best specialist, the best surgeon. This book was very coveted. It was desired by all people. And they fulfilled the instructions of this book to the letter, of course, in the desire for good health. There's no greater treasure than health. This book was a legal document. Is a person allowed to go to a doctor 
If you recall, Abenazar's Sefer of Nachman's Wisdom, Abenazar was opposed to the idea of going to doctors. And this contention is one that is debated, opposed by many other factions who disagree with this point of view and say that if a person is ill, he must visit a doctor. It would be wrong, it would be a crime to allow his temperature to rise without seeking medical assistance. In fact, it would be close to suicide. So how can a person say, remain ill and don't seek any medical advice, do not take any medicines? Why? Because the Torah itself states clearly, and he shall visit a doctor and have this doctor cure him. This is a Pusik in the Torah. And the Gemara says from this Pusik we learn that permission was granted from heaven to doctors to cure, to attempt to cure, and to cure those who are sick. Since you have a clear statement in the Torah itself, the Torah says that doctors are permitted to cure, surely you cannot condemn doctors or vilify them or speak against them. This is the argument of many against the words of Abinazal. Here we find very clearly stated that Cheskehu HaMelech said, and this is the Marshal explains it in these words too. Skiamelech said that the good I did was that I took this book of King Solomon and I hid it. I removed it from the sight from the knowledge of people. What did I accomplish by doing that? People who become ill are now very desperate. There are no doctors, there are no medicines, there's no medical knowledge. So what does a person who becomes sick do? What does he do then? In desperation, he finally turns to Hashem and starts pleading and crying to Hashem, saying to Hillam, Hashem, you are my last resort. Please cure me. But he says this with a lot of feeling. Very sincerely, he begs Hashem to cure him. This, as Kiyamelech said, is Hatayv Be'enecha Asisi. I did what you, Hashem, considered good. In other words, you, Hashem, in the Torah, permitted doctors to cure. You allowed people to go to doctors, but you did not consider that good. It is not a good act. It's permissible, but not good. What you consider good is to close the books on doctors and to simply turn to Hashem for the cure, for assistance, no matter how sick a person is. This is what Hashem considers really good. Our proof was that this was accepted by Hashem. This is really what Hashem wanted, and this is what Hashem liked about Veskiah HaMelech most. Because he wiped out the threat of people losing their faith in Hashem and building up a false idolatry of faith in doctors as the great healers, the ones who possess the power of cure. But in truth, all the doctors in the world cannot cure a person that is fated to die by a decree of heaven. All the doctors in the world are not needed if it is fated that a person live. So this is the opposite of true faith, going to doctors, especially most many people who are afflicted with the worst sickness, that decay of the brain, a faith that should belong in the brain, a person's mind, when they speak of their doctors with such awe and such belief as though the doctor was a deity. His doctor said, when his doctor said it's as though a voice came from heaven, 
from Mount Sinai, this doctor's voice came and said so-and-so. But in truth, of course, the doctors factually, though they do help, though they do affect cures, they do that, certainly. But that is still in a minority of cases. In the majority of cases, they do much more damage than good. Therefore, the Torah, Gemara says, the end result is that the best doctor still deserves Gehenna, even though he allegedly helped others or tried to help others, his final report card mark is Gehenna, which means he couldn't be too good, too much good. So this was the tefillah of Cheskiah HaMelech, and all this took only a few moments. It took the time that it took Yishayah Navi to walk out of the king's room and walk down the palace stairs to the front gate. At that gate, Hashem spoke to Yishayah Navi and he said to him, go back, return to Cheskiah HaMelech and deliver this message. He came back and he said to Cheskiah HaMelech, I come to you with the word of Hashem. You are the beloved one of Hashem. And the message is that Hashem has heard your tefillah, your prayer. He has seen your tears. This, of course, points out the very important fact. The Gemara says that tefillah, prayers, no matter how sincere, no matter how strong the tefillah is, it could be rejected. It could be turned down. Because the gates of heaven are very solidly closed, it's difficult for a tefillah to have enough pressure to push its way through this gate. But there is another gate that's open. It's constantly open. It's unlocked, it's open, and that is the gate of tears. Gemara says when a person dovens and sheds tears, then the heart of heaven is so soft, it cannot refuse these tears. Which is the secret behind the fact that women's tefillahs are so precious. Because a woman's tears are so readily available they have softer hearts, they easily allude to tears, and therefore their tefillahs are precious. Certainly so in the case of any person who sheds tears in his tefillah before Hashem, this tefillah must go through, because the gate of tears in heaven is always open. And therefore Hashem said to Cheskiah in this message, Hashem has heard your tefillah, Hashem has seen your tears, Hashem has accepted your prayer, and you're going to be blessed now with life. The life will consist of 15 years being added to your life. 15 years longer to live, a very important question arises in the Gemara. Hashem promised 15 years more. What is meant by 15 years more? More than what? There is a machlekas, a debate between Rabbi Akiva and the rabbis of the Gemara, the Chachamah. The Chacham say that when Hashem said 15 years more, it meant that Cheskiah Melech was about to die, to die shortly, because of the sin he had committed, not getting married. And now he was told, you're going to live out your normal life, plus an additional bonus of 15 years, more than the regular amount that was slated for you. The Akiva says, no. He was scheduled to die 15 years earlier than his normal period of time given to him, which means that a person cannot live longer than he is fated to live. The Chacham say it is possible for a person 
through tefillah, through good deeds, to have years added to his life, the Akiva says that cannot be. A person could lose his years through a sin, he can get them back through tshuva, but he cannot receive additional years. There are, of course, exceptional cases in the Gemara, the case of Ekreda, 400 years and so on. We're speaking about regular cases where the regular gizeda, the regular order in heaven is that when a person is granted a number of years, this number of years given to him means he's given back his years, not new ones. Now, to this, Tesis asks a question. We find that there's a story in the Gemara about the mother of the unmentionable one, the opposite of immaculate in our actions, and whose time came to depart from this world. The Gemara says that the Malach is the angel of death, who was sent to bring her soul, a black soul, up to heaven, was very reluctant to go. After handle this merchandise, he chose to give it to his subordinate angel. And this subordinate, who had no choice, was sent down. Of course, being a subordinate, he wasn't as clever as the officer. So he erroneously brought up the wrong soul. Soul of a different woman with the same name. And this soul came up. The angel himself, Mahomes, was furious. He said to him, dummy, what else could he say? He brought the wrong one. This had to be rectified. Question was, they finally got the right one. It was really wrong, anyhow. But after, afterwards, the question was, what to do with this soul now, this innocent woman who was, who'd been killed? To bring her back to life, that was too late to do now. Miracles aren't performed. So she'll have to wait here in heaven until her time comes to be judged. But there was something missing on earth. There was life that should have been lived on earth. The years this woman should have lived, those years were not being lived. And those years had to be lived by a person. What happened to those years? This one of the rabbis of the Gemara asked the angel of death, what happened to the years this woman was supposed to have lived? You took this woman's soul, you possess now the number of years she should have lived. He replied, well, I look for a tzaddik who is very kind, who does not become angry easily. He's very patient and controls his temper. And if I see that a person should lose his temper, controls himself, overcomes a desire to become angry, he deserves extra years. So to him, I bequeath the years that were taken illegally from this woman, this side can now live that many years longer. Question is, Tezus asks, the Akiva just stated that a person cannot be given more years than he is fated to live. If he gets extra years, it's only his years which he had lost, he now retrieves. How could the angel of death give these years additionally to a tzaddik, meaning more years than he had received at the time of his birth? And Tezus answers that the Rekiva means is that there cannot be more years than are created. Years two are created. Yomim Yutsoru. Years are created into this world, years for each person. There cannot be more years than are created originally. But if there is a certain number of years created for a person, and that person loses those years, 
they can then be given, transferred to a second person. It's not that the new year is given to this person, it is years that existed already, are being transmitted or transferred to a second party. So there is no contradiction, no stita there. Maybe Akiva too would admit, would agree, the fact that a person can live longer than he was fated to live if he receives old years that were already created, given to him by having somebody else lose them first. Now in this case, Chaskia Melech was told that he received 15 additional years added to his life, which means either 15 new years according to Hachamim, or 15 years that he had lost and was now getting them back. Chaskia Melech said to Shia Navi, I would like to have proof of this blessing. I want to see a miracle that this blessing will come true. So the prophet said, you deserve that. Now, I'll give you a choice. Pick one of these two miracles. Either a son will move ahead very quickly, 10 hours, and we come 10 hours later by turning the clock 10 hours ahead, or it'll move back 10 hours, 10 hours earlier. Which would you rather have? Which miracle would you prefer? Eskiramelech said the miracle of moving ahead, sometimes time moves very quickly. It might be like a dream when time passes fast. People would consider it, they might have dozed off, or they might not recognize the miracle. But to have time move back, it's the evening, and suddenly it goes back to morning, that's a miracle which every person will agree is an actual miracle. That's what I want. This is what happened. The sun moved back the number of degrees that the sun revolves, the sun does revolve around the earth. The sun moved back that many degrees for a period of 10 hours, where it became morning again. This was a miracle to show that he'd be given these 15 additional years of life. The question, of course, the Gemara asks, the world was created with time. And the time means that right now, we have had that many years, centuries, days, and hours that have passed. If we are missing 10 hours, or we have 10 hours too many, isn't our calendar off? The Gemara says definitely. It is impossible to have more or less hours than the time allotted for creation. So if ever there is a case of more hours or less hours, it's only a borrowed case. It's borrowed time. What happened in this case was that Ochoz, the former king, who was very wicked, when he died, he died in the early part of the day. And there was enough time to spend time to have false speakers, to deliver false eulogies, praises about him. And this was not desired in heaven. So a miracle took place where time suddenly moved forward quickly, became dark, there was no time left for eulogies, and they had to bury him quickly. Ten hours had been lost then, and now these ten hours were made up in the case of Cheskiah Melch. So it was an actual miracle, but it did not affect our time or our calendar. This was an era of miracles. What we see, though, the main lesson in this story is, the main one, Ben El says, is the fact that tefillah is so vital Emuna and Bitochen are so important that a person should know that no matter what happens, the holiest prophet says to a Jew, you're lost, reject that, refuse that prophecy. No Jew 
no matter where he is, no matter how far he has descended, can never be considered lost. There's no time that hope is lost. As long as a person is alive, he must retain his hope, his certainty that Hashem is with him.